Hello, welcome to season four, episode four of Introspectives. Um, me and Sabrina are really excited to speak with our special guest today. Um, do you want to say hi, Sabrina? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll I'll just leave it to our guest to introduce himself, if that is okay. So take it away, please. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm Anthony. Um, I've got a not-for-profit company called Always an Alternative, and I use that to change, to, to uh, sorry, to challenge the mindset of young people around serious youth violence. So that's gang crime, gang culture, knife crime, gun crime, even domestic violence, anything that is is violent. Really, um, I do like workshops and things like that to try and change the mindset and you know get them to think from different angles about you know now. Um, being angry in the classroom or not being able to control your feelings, you know, in, mm. you know, while you're by yourself, that could lead to, you know, something very bad happening when you're a bit older in, in different situations. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what, what an intro, honestly. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we, we both have so many questions, but I guess just to start off, can you tell us about like where you grew up and how your early experiences led you to write your book and launch uh, Always an Alternative? Um, so, yeah, I, I grew up in Sheffield. I've always lived in Sheffield. I think I've lived in council houses all my life in not very nice areas up until I was around, I think it was 15, 15 or 16, um, I had to go and live with my nana, which she lived in a nice area. Um, so yeah, um, moving to that nice area, you know, it, it was a good thing because it got me out of the trouble, but the negative negative side of that was, I then became the trouble through no fault of my own. It was just like, I was the first guy that looked like me that lived up there. So mm. a lot of the trouble I got blamed for when it wasn't me, you know, I was getting involved in arguments all the time that didn't necessarily involve me. Anything stupid happened, it was always me when it wasn't, which I think that helped in me going down a road, uh, which I shouldn't have because that pushed me to, well, if you think I'm this bad person, then I will be become this bad person mm. and I'll be the best of being this bad person that I can be because, mm. I, you know, I give 110% to everything <laughs> I do. So with that respect, you know, um, I... With, with the book, I don't really think it influenced the book. Um, I think that was later on, you know, after I changed and gone for everything I wanted to, to, to write the book. But most definitely for the not-for-profit and the work I do. I mean, when I was looking back when I was younger, I, I, I just wish that, that I was around then, that I could speak to me and it would have stopped me from doing so much stuff. I, I'd you know, I'd have gone to uni quicker, I'd have known what career I wanted a lot faster, you know, I'd have, I'd have known the importance of education and networking, meeting other people, there's things like that that, you know, you don't, you just think are normal if you're from that environment, but when you're not, it's a big thing for you to, you know, to get your head around. Yeah. Oh, man. You're so right. Like, what you brought up earlier when people look at you a certain way, especially if you don't have relative, um, sorry, relatable role models, then what are you going to do? You're just going to act like it, right? That, that's what you do. Like, <laughs> you know, it's a funny story because obviously I'm mixed race. My father's mm -hmm. half African and half Jamaican, but we, mm -hmm. I only know my Jamaican side. So I know the Jamaican culture. My mum's white, um, British. 
and I grew up with my mom, you know, I saw my dad the weekends and whatnot, but I was pre predominantly with my mom. So I got brought up um, not knowing what colour I was because that weren't important. And it's not important when you're younger, but I got brought up like as a white child would get brought up with the foods, mm. with, you know, um, mannerism, saying a up, like shaking hands instead of saying respect. <laughs> it weren't until I got to an age where people called me black people were coming up to me and telling me what I go on and I'm like what what are you talking about like I don't get what you mean and they're like oh well you're black why don't you know and then once <laughs> you know I became black I, I look for um black role models and, and and people to look up to and there was none around me I didn't have one person I could look to so where else you look well you look on social media well not me social media back then it was the tv mtv um, yeah <laughs> music so you know music heavily influenced me because that's the only time that i saw black people so and i got called a black person and you know racial arguments and stuff so yeah it, it, it took me on that road where you know it shouldn't have but it, it did mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Oh, yeah, Sabrina, I was just going to ask you if you want to say something. Yeah, um, it's just kind of like a question that's come out of um, what you've said. Yeah. Um, do you think kind of not having that black presence around had like an effect on kind of your development and the things that you kind of went through? Because having moved to Sheffield and being from a city where obviously I was around my culture and, and being full black I was kind of in that environment all the time. One thing I kind of struggled with when I was moving up north was would there be any black people there? Like that was my biggest fear of coming up here. So kind of moving to the city and having to kind of find where the black communities are. And that's me kind of coming from a different city. So yeah. saying that you grew up and you kind of didn't know and you kind of had to, I would say, go to the media to kind of find your your connection. What would you say that that had an impact on you? Or how would you say it had an impact yeah, well, on you? Well, it did because I was, I, so I, I did used to go to my grandma's to, on my, like, we call it the black side, so my black grandma, and we did go there, and, and it was just, it, it, went, it, would, it was different, like, the culture is way different, and I, I, I didn't, I, I just thought it was a bit odd, because I didn't get, I didn't get what two cultures were, I just thought everybody was everybody, and we all acted the mm. same, so when I went down to, you know, to, to my nan she bless her you know she, she's not with us no more but she taught me so much it, it was unbelievable without her i'd say she was you know the positive um person when it comes to like looking at my the black side of my family um she was the one that everybody levitated to i'm a bit like her now like i often get i keep my cousins in contact with each other she was the exact mm. same we'd always like well you know what it's like on, on a saturday saturday soup time everyone's down at granny's house <laughs> you know you see people that you're not seeing for ages people popping you know everybody's welcome if they need somewhere to stay you know she'd help them and you know and it's just that whole culture with the music she she taught me quite a lot and i, I was so grateful for that but looking back it shouldn't have been hey it should have been like my dad that, that taught me that stuff but she did but yeah back to your question it did it does make a difference because it's not english culture is it that like it's a different culture within them and things are very different i could say something you know when i got to see my nana that i couldn't say when i was with my mom or, or the white side of my family or i couldn't say certain things 
in front of my white family because of my black side. Not nothing bad, but like they've got they've got totally different jokes. Like if I go to a joke with with my black friends and I say like a, a pub joke, like guys I know that go to the pub, they'll be looking at me like I'm weird and vice versa. So <laughs> and it can cause a bit of arguments and whatnot. But you know, but I got there and I understand that culture and and yeah, I'm grateful for it. Just piggybacking off of that, um, did you feel like you had to choose between one over the other? I, I didn't fit. No, I didn't have to choose. That decision was made for me, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I can't mean, I, you know what I mean, I can't hide the color of my skin. <laughs> That's it. Simple. Whether it doesn't matter what I've done, you know, or, or what I've achieved, people look at me first and they judge. And unfortunately, <laughs> it's more than likely negative. But that's what happens when you're six foot four, 20 odd stone and, you know, you're, you're a black guy, essentially. But I like it, you know, I, you know, it, 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 it makes me feel happy when people think they know me. You know, I, I dress in, I don't know, people say I dress like a road man. So I wear trainers and tracksuit bottoms because that's what I'm comfortable in. And people yeah. will try and, you know have arguments with me thinking that I'm just some naive person that's not educated and they soon mm -hmm. find out <laughs> that that's not the case and then <laughs> they have to walk away with their tail between their legs so hopefully <laughs> they'll teach them you know don't judge people you know end yeah, day, absolutely. first and foremost we're all human and we're all people first the yeah. other stuff can get brushed aside because it's, it's not really important yeah but yeah I guess you're really using um like that to your it seems like you're using like your your height and your external characteristics to your advantage of course i have to like when <laughs> i'm in a room like normally it's like two things in it it's either your physical presence or like your presence like emotional your energy well mm. unfortunately for some people i've got both like i will go in the room at, in the room i'm just laughing and joking i need positivity you know i i know that I play hard because I work hard and I like people mm. to feel happy. I think that's because a lot of the time I intimidate people for no reason, just because of my size and how I am. So mm. I think I let off this more positive exterior to try and make people feel comfortable, but I don't mind because I, I enjoy it. Man. I like just being happy and being positive. And, mm. you know, it, it kind of, especially with the work that I'm doing now around gang violence, if you mm. look at me, you'd you think that, okay, this guy does know what he's talking about because of my appearance. I know it, it can work both ways, positive and negative. Um, so would you say that um, when you, because you self-published your book, yeah, um, yeah. would you say that your appearance kind of had an impact on the journey mm. that your book went on? Because I know that the way you describe your appearance, publishers, like, do you think they, if, well, what was your process? Mm. Did you actually go to them? Because my next question was going to be, um, did your appearance have an effect? Like if you went to publishers, was that like a mm. factor with um, what they were going to do with your book? Um, yeah, well, I'll let you go with I, it. I think, I think, <laughs> I th okay, I can't, I, I didn't approach any publishers. However, if you look at most authors, like if you look at most football players or most tennis players or most, I don't know, they, send, they tend to look a certain way. Like, you'll have your odd people that look a bit different, but mm. on a whole, you know, they, they tend to look different. Now, mm. do I look like an author? No, I don't think I do. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I, I accept it, you know. <laughs> um, but 
with, with regards to self-publishing, I didn't even let it get there. I, I've, I'm, I'm too old now. I'm 33 years old. And I know 100% if you want something doing properly, you've got to educate yourself and, and do it yourself. Mm, Obviously, yes. there's certain things where, you know, leave it to the professionals. But I'm sure if you put enough work in, you'll understand the fundamentals that can drive the, the professionals that you're asked to do it in what way you like. So, yeah, in short... I read, I read the whole process like you have to look for an agent and then the agent has to find mm. you a publisher and then to me that's like money just getting took off like every time money gone yeah. money gone and I'm no no chance it's me that's done the work for the book it's going back into the into the not-for-profit I'm trying to keep my, my profit to a maximum therefore I'll just write the book publish it myself I've learned a lot of things along the way I'd do it again though, 100%. And I, and I would say to people, if, if, you, if you're if you writing a book that you believe in, what do you need a publisher for? Mm. Mm. Well, just on that note, because um, you, you describe yourself as a dyslexic author on, yeah. in your Twitter bio. So I'm just really curious, like what was it like to actually write this book from that perspective? It is hard. I can't mm. even, you know, it's rewarding. And if anything, you know, worth working hard for, it is, it is rewarding, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to put people off, but the process is is tiring. So my process is this: everything, a hundred percent, a hundred and ten percent, has to get planned out in my head before I even look at a piece of paper, wow. and that means I need a story that's got a start and it's got a finish, a bit like a road, beginning and an end. And then what I'll do is pretend each chapter is like a stop-off point, like a delivery address. And then what I'll do is I'll do the first chapter. After it's all planned out, I'll do the first chapter in my mind. So as soon as I sit down in the computer, I can write it out. Because if I don't know what I'm doing in my mind, my fingers will not work. It won't come out of nowhere. So I have to make sure I know the first chapter, write the first chapter, think about the second chapter, revisit the first chapter, read it, the second chapter, then back again to the beginning, first chapter, second chapter, third chapter. So I've read them chapters so many times, mm. it's unbelievable, but it's hard work and that's just mm. writing the book. Then I have to send it to people to proofread because I cannot spell still and my grammar isn't all there and there's mistakes that I make, which I don't know I'm making. That doesn't mm. worry me because I, I don't know um, it's the mistakes that I think now come on and like you should have known to do that you're getting sloppy now they're the things that annoy me but if I if I genuinely make mistakes it's, it's the end of the day we're not all perfect but you yeah. know I, I did it all myself I didn't get any help from any like writers because I've learned that a lot of people they sort of pay the they'll tell them their story and then the writer will write it for him mm. no, no, no 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 ghostwriting for you it's all <laughs> self-work no chance <laughs> um i just want sabrina i know you want to say something but i just want to say like um i thought that <laughs> if i can just share what i thought about the book real fast no spoilers but what really impressed me was that obviously one of the, i'm i'm assuming one of the goals of writing this book is to raise awareness of of the cause right but i thought yeah. that this was written in such an accessible way um 
like you know sometimes you open a book and the text is like so small and there's so many words just crammed on the page it takes you like an hour to get through it and you're just like this is really interesting but man i'm still on like the same page but no like i really appreciated like your stylistic choices but i also thought like your word choice was um you know sometimes you don't need to complicate a sentence you know i yeah, i like yeah. it being straight into the point so i thought it was straight into the point and um everything kind of well, made full circle, yeah. um, which which I just I just really appreciate. I thought it was really um, an easy, interesting read. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming you're writing a second book. Is that yeah? Is, is I, that I, in the I works? Kinda, I kind of had to as soon as I put to be continued. It. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, maybe should have thought about that. <laughs> it's on record now. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, there's going to be a, a number two. But yeah, thanks thanks for reading it. I mean. You know, the thought process behind this book, I don't think that anybody has gone to the length. So if you've noticed, first and foremost, um, the texture of the paper is more like a glossy texture, mm. um, like a magazine. Now, there's a reason for this is because if you if you pick up any, if you don't like reading, the first thing you re recognise are two things, for me anyway, the texture of the actual paper and the smell of the book. They're the two things that I noticed straight away. So mm -hmm. as a young person, what's going to put me off reading? Well, the feel of the paper and the smell of the paper. So uh -huh. I did it like that because it's th that texture, that glossy texture is more like a magazine, which is a, uh -huh. a full read as opposed to a book. Um, the font is like that because I'm dyslexic myself. And I thought, you know what? Why am I going to write the same as every other book? People with, with learning difficulties and people that enjoy reading often look at the text, like you said, and just think to, it's an automatic switch off. Like, no. So I thought, okay, then I asked people with learning difficulties, um, what text do you like? They didn't answer. They said, it's all fine. I said, okay, then. So I asked the people with reading difficulties, um, well, we like it a bit narrow and a bit spaced apart a bit more. So I got I compiled a sheet full of different mm. fonts. And I, and I chose the highest um, rated font on there. So I put that in, um, I put the pictures on the, on the start of the chapters. Other people do this, but my reason was so you could have a little bit of a vision about what the chapter's about before you start. Then the, the cover of the book is rubbery. It's almost got mm. a feel of it. So it What's can't that? slip out of your hand. Yeah. Like people stroke it. And that's again, <laughs> because I want the user to and, and well, it's heavy as well. And I, I wanted the reader to be like, okay, then this guy's not just written a book and it's gone to the publishers and it's come out. You know, I would not have been able to produce that book if I'd have been published because it would have looked like every other book because every other book sells. Now, I took a bigger risk, but I understood the market and I wanted people to have a nice read and enjoy it. You know, not feel that they have to do it and like it's a mission to read a book. It, it should be fun. So they were the decisions I made like before. That's even before writing it and, mm. you know, trying to get the message across. Wow. Um, that is like, I didn't realize like so many decisions <laughs> went into the product. Like, I'm so impressed. Uh, wow, Sabrina, did you want to say something? Yeah, um, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts and remember <laughs> I know, right? what I wanted to say <laughs> each bit. Um, so being as we're still 
talking about the book before I jump back let me like start where we are so first of all I haven't read the book yet um I'm excited to read it I will um the reason why I have got like a love-hate relationship with books at the moment um I love reading books but since I went to uni I can't tell you the last time I've really kind of been at it with a book (laughs) it would take me like a day or two to really get through a book like I was a proper reader so um listening to you talk about your book I'm like ah I need to reignite this passion because it just sounds like such a fun read and what it reminded me of is um have you ever read heard of the book um The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night oh yeah Um, so um yeah so basically the author of that book um has autism and the main character and the main character is autistic so he's wrote the book as if you're the character with autism so when you're reading it you experience what it's like to be that um that character so with the chapters the character doesn't like um even numbers so the whole book all the chapters are on numbers and um like when he um has like when he suffers a bit of trauma he has like a mechanism for like calming himself down and when you're reading the book you can tell it's coming and it's kind of you go through the motions with him um so yeah it just reminded me of that kind of attention to detail when it comes to who's reading your book and why are you going to change your style to fit what's mainstream when what's mainstream doesn't fit you um so i am really intrigued to kind of like read it but then as someone who used to be like a young author, as a young author, I've never completed anything apart from poems. Um, I used to love um, writing. So listening to your process of kind of how you um, wrote your book and kind of that you went chapter by chapter and you planned everything out in your head, it yeah. made me reflect on what my writing style was like. And I used to have amazing ideas in my head um but there were vague ideas I was like yeah I kind of know how it's going to start I don't know how it's going to end and I kind of know what's going to go on in the middle and that's my process for for writing so I would kind of write a bit and then um go off and think about something else and I felt like my thoughts it was just too scattered and then I would have an idea for another book and then start writing something else then I've got like about a million um folders with ideas for future books and I'm like I just need to chill out and settle on my idea and kind of just get on with it and um i totally agree with what you like i'm not dyslexic but my spelling and my grammar and my punctuation it is all so shoddy and to say that i did english lit and lang at a level it just hasn't improved either so i will read like um a story 20 times and just glaze over the same mistake over and over again so having that kind of person to kind of check it for you um, is key. Would you say that you had like a trusted person that kind of knew the story like you knew it? Or yeah, do you yeah. kind of keep everything to yourself? Because I know when you've got a story, it's your baby. So sharing it with other people, it's kind of like, how many people did you share it with um, in its like inception stages? I, sh- I, I, I kept I kept my, um, my partner, um, she knew about it throughout my business partner. She knew about it. And my nana, um, they're the three people that knew about the book from start to finish. They didn't know what was going to happen. Only I knew that. They could only find out when I finished each chapter. And I think I think it's great to have people around you um, that will read your stuff and, you know, that you can trust and that will tell you the truth because 
you know yourself like from your point of view because you're so engrossed in the story you will miss little things off that mm -hmm. will stop make people not like it because you took for granted something because you're in the middle of it so by giving it to more people to read is good for you because then you'll see other people's perspective and you know they might genuinely not understand a bit but you'll be like well obviously it says it there like it's a book but then they're like yeah but I, I don't understand like why and then if they ask you a question why that means you need to develop something mm -hmm. because if they're asking why somebody else is going to ask why so better off you, you do it that way and they were brutal man I used to, uh, they picked on me from my spellers and all sorts <laughs> but you know I can take a joke and you know I'd get a, I'd get like <laughs> they'd change different words and stuff while we're trying to do it but it's it's all just to try and make fun of it because it it's it's a job like it or not it's a job and they weren't getting paid for it i'm not getting paid for it so we needed to try and have some sort of fun <laughs> yeah. well it's like what you said right uh the only thing between you and your goals is you 100 percent, 100 percent. like that is you know when i was younger growing up and you know i had a totally different mindset you know my, my mindset was i was happy to be alive you know and and now you know my mindset is it's get the most out of life you know we all get one life and we should do all we can and you know forget about excuses and not doing stuff let's just get up and do it it might work it might not work but at least you know now and it's you're in a better position than you was while you was thinking it so yeah i just try to like write stuff like that all the time even on social media i try to write positive things because it's easy for us to sink into a negative mindset, and especially what's happening now. You know, all you need to do is look at COVID or look at the elections or look at what's happening in Jamaica or Black Lives Matter. And you can watch one video on something and two minutes later, you know, you watch 50 depressive videos and you don't know what's going on in life. So now and again, you just need a little positive comment and a laugh and a joke, you know, just to, just to keep the, the spirits high, you know, keep thinking positive yeah absolutely um just to well we're also just curious um you know since like talking about your book um can you tell us about what being an entrepreneur is like and like what your typical day looks like entrepreneur is something <laughs> that i thought i was I, I, it started when i was in college no before college i'd always think of ways to make some sort of money you know um, whether it was, I don't know, swapping clothes at a clothing shop to keep up with the trends or producing music and selling it to people. You know, I did that at college. Um, I got like the, the, the top most like popular guys, obviously including me, um, to do like a, um, a, it was like a grind hip hop tune. I got them all to record it. And obviously because, because there was all popular people, everybody wanted to buy this cd so i said all right that's it I'll, I'll put the instrumental on there i'll put the tune on there i'll make a bonus track and, and i sold it around school so you know that was like when i knew i, I was an entrepreneur um I, I went to college and stuff that didn't really work out because my mind wasn't in it um i've worked for other people my first job was stacking shelves at a fame a famous frozen value shop Man, man, oh man! I'm actually right here. I've got my first ever pay slip. I was on four pounds seventy-seven. 
Oh, wow. And I won. <laughs> and I keep that there because at the end of the day, I've grafted, you know, and I've mm-hmm. tried working for other people and it's just my, my personality. You know, I, I don't understand order and I don't understand hierarchy, you know, that um, you respect your managers and you, and you do what managers ask of you. However, they've got to respect hierarchy and respect me as a human being. Therefore, mm-hmm. asking me to do stupid things just because you're, you're my, my manager, that will not help you, unfortunately. That's an argument. And, you know, I thought to myself, well, it's a learning curve. It's my first job. I never worked. So, I, you know, I kept quiet. And then um, I, I had something wrong with my foot. My, I couldn't feel my big toe. Um, so I went to the oh. doctors. Yeah, I went to the doctors. And the doctors like, oh, signed me off for, for six, six months, I think it were. I was like, what the heck's going on? And then I got told that I've got a... I had it in birth, from birth, but it just started affecting me. It's called plant, plantiathysis or something like that. Basically, I've got all the bones in my feet. I've got no arch in my foot. It's a hundred percent flat. Like you don't. If I chop my toes off, you wouldn't know which was the left and which was the right side of my foot. That's how bad it is. Oh. Um, so yeah, I got diagnosed with that, and my, my, the doctor said like you can't stand up on your feet for long enough to do physical work, mm-hmm. like working in. Um, packing shelves or whatnot so then I was just like well if I can't do nothing physical I need to get my brain working so I went to university um went to uni to do IT um network engineering which was fun but while I was there um, I did some security work Mm. and I noticed that um, there was a gap in the market for places that provided supported housing for vulnerable people so I said okay then I know people that work security. What they hate is there's zero job satisfaction. They just get abused all the time and they just stand mm. around wasting the day. Yeah. So what I did is I took myself away. I got my education certs and I did a few courses. And then I created a company called Stay Safe Security. And it's the first company and only company in England that provide safeguarding security guards. So we, so my staff work such as house at homes, you know, for young people that, um, are in, in, in care, my mm. night staff work there to make sure they're okay. So I train them in substance misuse, you know, domestic violence, safeguarding children, safeguarding vulnerable adults, everything they might come across, I train them. And yeah, that was my first business. And then I carried on doing my uni work. I was in my third year of uni, fourth year, finished uni, then I started I was a bit stuck. I wanted to become a teacher, so I tried to be a teacher, but that didn't work. That was a bit that was a bit silly, that story, but it didn't work. So I went to do my masters and then I was getting so wound up and not being able to make a difference in the security. I opened my own children's home with my business partner. So mm. I've got two businesses now. And yeah, a day in the life is to just make sure the kettle's boiled. Because if not, <laughs> nothing productive is going to happen. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, actually, we have so many thoughts on that. But just a quick one. Um, how did you find your business partner? Because I know that can often sometimes be a challenge. Oh, you know what? Our story is just crazy. So my first ever, so the first ever contract I got doing my security was her. She was the one that gave me my first ever security oh. job. Um, yeah, so we kept we we kept kind of in touch, you know. And we'd just check up on each other and see how we were doing and whatnot. 
and then uh, she left where I, I the place where I would provide the security she went somewhere else and um we, we didn't really talk and then we just caught up one day and now we're like look I'm sick to death of this like why can't we with the knowledge that she knew because she'd worked in it in, in that sector a lot longer than me she was mm -hmm. like well I'm sick of it too I might start my own thing up and I'm just like well if it's different I'm on it like anything different that goes against what people think is right I'll do it just to prove <laughs> that your way is not the only way you know so that's it we set up the business like she she done a lot she sort of like the day-to-day -day running stuff and I do more of the business side and the like the education side of it so i created so when they come to us at 16 they come from um residential care normally and that's where basically they're looked after they don't have to do anything themselves so at 16 they come to us i prepared a book it's called the pathway to independence where we run through certain skills such as changing a light bulb brushing teeth hygiene you've got mm -hmm. all, everything that you think you might need to move into it by yourself i created the, the booklet to go through it with her mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's what it's a good i enjoy i enjoy working with her she's a star when she behaves <laughs> <laughs> wow that's amazing um you seem extremely busy though like how do you maintain focus during while doing everything i was just thinking that like, <laughs> yeah. so you know what the thing is like it's not do you know what the thing is it's just be, not i say organized like i'm proper organized i'm not proper organized it's just you've got i don't know everything happens in my mind i know what's happening everything's planned out if i've got something to do i make sure it gets done you know lists are a good thing um you write a list down a major major key for me is knowing what you need to do the next day because when you wake up straight away, you know what you need to do. It's not, a, it, it's that bit into it. Like if you wake up and you don't know what you've got to do, you might want to stay in bed like 10 minutes and then 20 minutes, then an hour <laughs> later, you're like, oh God, like, oh, wait, I better do something. It, it's, but if you know, yeah, I, I don't know why, but it triggers my mind. If I know what I've got to do the next day, I get up focused, knowing what I need to do, knowing that my day is not complete until it's finished. Mm. That's actually really good advice. Very true. I mean, that's good discipline to have because I always check my what time my meetings will be in the morning, and I've been like that dictates and that dictates my day. Yeah. Um, do you want to? Oh, sorry, Andy. Were you going to say something? No, no, no. Uh, I was just going to say, Sabrina. Do you want to take it away with your next question? Yeah. Um, so, um, do you feel you're receiving a lot of local and national support for your cause? Because I know that um, with one of the articles that we've um, read online that you've done some work with kind of like schools and colleges yeah. um, and things like that. So like, um, how much support do you receive and do you feel like it's enough? Do you know how much support I receive from the people, from my people? I receive 110% support. I could not be more proud of the people around me, new people that I'm meeting, people that like the work, people that are interested in knife crime. I'm so, I, I would not have been able to write my book without their support and they don't really know it um, because I don't get no support from nowhere else. I, there's, there's this initiative for funding, there's this in it, this person would like to work with you. They've not worked with me, they've not supported, they've done absolutely nothing. I mean, 
any time I read in the news is when somebody's died. Like imagine that. Like I feel, I feel like it's a burden sometimes. You know, oh this guy, this guy's that. If somebody died tomorrow, I could guarantee you by ten o'clock I'll have had three different phone calls from three different news people asking me my thoughts. Well, the truth is, my thoughts have been the same three years ago when I first started doing knife crime. Why are you still asking me these questions? And why? Are you asking me questions, me answering them, and then nobody's doing nothing about, you know, my my answer, the, the solution? So, yeah, back to the question. Yeah, from my supporters and people in the community and just day-to-day people, 100% support. I absolutely love them. I couldn't do it without them. But as opposed to, like, your news and other other people, nah. Not a chance. I think I think mm. they're quite. I think they should be quite ashamed of themselves. To be fair, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because um, Claire um approached me like this whole interview happened so quick. Um, Claire literally popped up to me and was like, "I've met this great guy. I think we should interview him. Um, how do you feel about being a part of this? We should do it next week." And I was like, between like work and trying to do other other podcasts, I've like tried to get like up to speed as much as possible and like I couldn't believe that I'd never kind of like come across you before mm-hmm. um especially because um I work with a lot of schools and colleges across South Yorkshire not just Sheffield yeah. and um as much as possible because I consider Sheffield my home now I try to make sure that I know what's going on in Sheffield yeah. and kind of any projects to do with young people I try to make sure that it's on my radar even if yeah. I don't act on it I, I like to know that there's something going on and one thing um, especially because the area of Sheffield I used to live in um, I've always kind of lived in the S2 kind of area um, and I know from like reading certain news reports certain areas of Sheffield that kind of um, they're prevalent for like crime yeah. and I just think like a lot more can be done and to know that there's someone out there that's actually doing a lot and it's not known it's like wow I feel like sometimes, as much as I love this city, there's a lot that it's got to boast and a lot that it's got to hide and a lot that it's got to support, but it's not. It's like the dots don't really connect too well in Sheffield sometimes. Can I just add something on that? Um, You know what? I actually mentioned, because I'm I'm from Boston in in the US, and I actually mentioned this with one of my friends, and she was literally like, is knife crime still a thing but like in in her reference it was like it's more gun violence that's talked about in the u.s right so it was really interesting because her frame of reference was like well i i guess it's better than gun violence and i was like oh man because what's reported on the media is predominantly like gun violence someone died of a gun you know stuff like that so yeah kind of like what sabrina was saying when I had found out about you through uh, one of my student ambassadors, I was reading up on this and I just thought like, I can't believe this wasn't on a hider radar in my life before. So it just, it's just nuts. But sorry, <laughs> what no, do you no. think about this? <laughs> you guys are asking this question now. I've been asking myself this question for nearly three years. Like, what have I done? What is, go- do you know when I-, I almost feel like someone's purpose, they're trying to like, eight ball me trying to stop me from doing something i'm like i don't understand i'll go to schools i'll email schools like when i first started i was doing it for free because that's how it was my way look i've got my business i'm not a millionaire but i've got a few hours spare which i don't need paying for i'll go to schools to try and prevent this from happening to other young people and every time i've moved forward someone's shoved slapped a door in my face i'm like what the heck is going on 
I don't, I don't understand it. There's no, I, I don't know. There's no, I've got no hidden agenda. I, I am what I see. You know, you ask me a question, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my opinion. Like, you might not like it, but I'll still tell you because I mean, I might be that one person that changes the way that you think about something. I will risk being that guy, you know, but I, I don't know why I've not been, um, in fact, you know what? I, I think I do. Um, and my cousin always tells me this. He, he says, do you know what your problem is? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> he said, you're too, you're too ahead of your time. You're doing things that people don't understand yet. He said, wait three or four years and they'll catch on to you. And the example is so true because I started doing knife crime stuff three years ago and people are only just talking to me now about workshops. And I'm like, what? Like, this was ages ago, you know. The same thing as a book. Like, Sheffield is is a, is a slow, slow city. And as, though, as much as I love it and, I, you know, it's my hometown and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a dinosaur. Do you know what I mean? You go, to, you go to Manchester, you go to Leeds, you go to London, Birmingham, Nottingham. We are bigger than some of these places. We should be as fast-paced as, as, fast as these places. However... We're, we're not people are digging the reels in. Oh, we, we don't like change. Well, if you don't like change, you get left behind and a whole heap of new issues are, are going to like <laughs> come to you. But yeah, I, I don't, I, I, well, I'm, I'm just going to go on what my cousin says. It's because I'm a bit too far ahead of my time. And like now, for instance, rather than focus on knife crime, I know the book's about knife crime, but it's not just knife crime. It's domestic abuse, mm. it's mental health. I don't really talk about knife crime now. I talk more about the mindset behind violence because if it's a knife, if it's a gun, if it's acid, if it's an axe, no matter what the weapon is, it could kill someone. And if you've got that mentality behind that weapon, then you're in, then you're in trouble. Um, but you, you'll find as well that they're all kind of like interlinked. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know like some young people that have like when you when I spoke to them when they were younger and um, they were very kind of ignorant about like the world and what it's like um, yeah. to kind of like be on road, um, as we should say. And I always used to warn them and be like, you can't, you can't continue like this because do you know what happened? If something bad was to happen, you could lose your life. If you went to prison, do you know what that could, that could have an impact on you. Then had to explain the concept of, do you know what a DBS is? Do you know yeah, like how yeah. these, these mm -hmm. things have a knock on effect? I never felt like I was just going blue in the face, trying to like prevent something from happening. So then you leave the situation alone when you can't help someone that doesn't want to help themselves. Yeah. There's only so far you can go with it. Yeah. Fast forward to the future. They've been through it. They've been incarcerated. They've learned the hard way. And oh, it's right. just like, when you look at the education system, it's like, even though people say, oh, it's not the teacher's job to do this. It's not the teacher's job. The, um, the school aren't there to kind of like, raise your children at the end of the day you, you kind of are because the school sees the child more than the parents technically mm -hmm. see the child so if you're not bringing these kind of um organizations into the school to speak to students on what mental health is why why is mental health on your conversation now when over 75 percent of young people suffer from it and don't yeah. get help that's something that should be brought into the school knife crime as well talking to students about the effect of that mm -hmm. that should be brought into the school i think domestic abuse that's a conversation people aren't trying to have but that is again one 
that it, it it needs to be brought into that environment because if it's not the conversation that's being had at home then it needs to be the conversation that's had in the um educational setting so to say that you're going from this from so many angles and it's like you're not getting the support from people that are there to make the difference <laughs> that's what i feel like going on yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just listening yeah. to you talk i'm just getting mm. so frustrated because when i think of like the means that people have out there. Like mm. I used to hate my secondary school, but when I reflect on the organizations that they brought through the door to educate me, like my school did the most. Um, an organization did a play on what um, prison's like and how you're not, um, what it means for a young person to go into that environment. And the whole thing was done in like a mock-up of a cell. And they were yeah. like, this is literally the size that you'll be living in. Oh, so I think, yeah, it was, there, there's a lot of talks I went to at school that I think, wow, um, I don't know if I'm just gullible like everybody else, but yo, I, I, this is a lesson <laughs> that is definitely staying with me when I go home. There's a lot of <laughs> My word. People literally like went into shape with a lot of things. Like it really did open yeah. my eyes. And I think, yeah, I don't want to be in that position. That is exactly the kind of lessons that it taught me. So when I'm around young people now and you're hearing the conversations that they've had, like, it's like, this is going to sound like so bad, but you just want to slap them in the, yo, life is not yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, not, not all of them, but. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard. And going back to what you said, Claire, like um, about knife crime in the comparison to the UK, um, I would say that in, uh, I mean, in the the gun crime in the US. Where? So, yeah, I would say in the US, I would say even though gun crime is bad, the only well, our perception of things over here is that you just have the kind of shootouts at school. Um though that's my perception of kind of like gun crime in America is that when young people are involved in it, it's like yeah. in a very dramatic situation. Yeah. Whereas I feel yeah. like with knife crime over here, you go to London and you check the pockets of quite a few young people and you'll probably find a knife in it. Um, that might be exaggerated, but knife crime is, it, yeah. it happens on the, on the regular. And to say that yeah. it's taken you kind of three years to kind of, for people to switch on, it's like this has been this has been going on for for a decade now. I think three years is um yeah. we just kind of, yeah. It's no one is worrying that people are tuning in, and it's just like oh gosh, this country is going to burn down before anything yeah. really. Um, if I can just add something, yeah. um, I think what's important to emphasize is that Anthony, uh, well, like in your nonprofit and your book, you say like I think you have a campaign that says it can happen to it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. So I think one of the perceptions that, well, I think that campaign is something that's aligned to what your cousin is saying about you being ahead of your time, because yeah. you're absolutely right. I mean, I think perceptions with this kind of crime, which is interlinked and we have so much to unpack there, but I think people kind of think knife crime, those are only for people with gangs, not me. And that's just so dangerous because it can literally happen to anyone. To so anybody, yeah. Yeah. like what happened in the book, you know? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no spoilers, the but thing, like, yeah. You know, the, 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 a lot of young people, yeah, it, it's the same thing. It's what the media portray if they put an article about knife crime, there's going to be some gang people in there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it was a domestic abuse um, incident or two two um, neighbours had a, a dispute. No matter the conflict, it's always um, a, a, a picture of a gang there. And I'm just like, wow, wow, wow. Like, this is dangerous because as adults, you're teaching adults, right, which 
should teach the kids. You're yeah. teaching them that unless their child is in a gang, they are not going to get stabbed or be stabbed. Mm. Wow. I'm like, oh my word. Like how far from the truth is that you'd and I just I just clear it up. One line I say, victims do not choose to become victims. So until you find a knife that tells the, you know that inscribes victims' names on it, so we definitely know that this knife is for this person, that knife could be for your child. And then guess who you're gonna come and talk to? Telling me, oh, I didn't think it happened to me. Why is it happened? Well. This is what I'm getting at. Like, come on. You do not choose to be a victim. You do, you can't tell me that your kid's not going to get stabbed. How? What the? That's like saying that he won't get run over or she won't get run over or she won't get into a fight. You never know. So is it not better to be safe than sorry? That That's my look of it anyway. Mm. Yeah, you're so right. Um, do you want to ask the... Sorry, I'm just, honestly, I feel like we could talk to you for so much longer than this, but I'm just getting conscious of the time. So we'll just ask you the next question. <laughs> I, I, I know the one that has to edit everything. So I'm just, I'm just happy to talk for, for ages. I don't have the responsibility of um, editing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, um, okay, one of our like final points um, to like summarize it is, um, what do you think like we, could be doing to kind of either raise more awareness um, on the issue or kind of eradicate it if, if that is even something that's even possible. And not just kind of like, when we say us, like everyone, um, not just us at an educational level, um, but like beyond that. Mm, I say be aware of it, be aware that it happens, knife crime happens a lot, serious youth violence happens a lot have it's more of a like a parental role like the the so even though you might not have any kids these young people are essentially your kids because they're getting brought up from us you know mm -hmm. the environment at the minute it's very positive i'm not positive i wish it were very negative sorry so you know we need to give the young people hope you know, don't just, you might just see a group of kids on the corner with the hoods up. They're just a, a group of kids on the corner with the hoods up. They're not in no gang. If you up, just say hello. They'll say hello back. They're not, they're not what people are trying to make them out to be. They're just young people. And often they just want someone to ask them if they're all right, you know. Mm. It, it, those little things like that, you know, say hello, spread awareness on knife crime, understand that it happens. You know, and don't promote the, the behaviours behind it. Um, you know, there's so much. You know what? We're at a stage where it's gone on for so long and so little's been do, done. Where where do you start? Where can, and, and that's what I'd say. Just, you know, engage with the young people. Talk to them. They're not all monsters. And spread awareness that knife crime does happen and it is taking lives. And, you know, don't, don't wait for the media to, to mm. dictate to you what's right and what's wrong and what campaign you should follow because you can follow every single campaign in the world if you wanted just don't let the media force it on you mm. that's such a good point yeah like highlight don't follow the media it's so hyped up sometimes it's, like <laughs> I, I, i'm one so my, my thing obviously you violence knife crime i'm onto it this is what i spread awareness of this is what i'll talk 24 7. before lockdown 
the attention was on knife crime. The government had loads of money. They wanted to work with Tom, Dick and Harry. They was, life was lovely for people trying to make a difference in knife crime. Then lockdown occurred. Oh my word. Everything was COVID. COVID, 5G. What else was it? There was something else. And then two weeks later, there were Black Lives Matters. And then two weeks after that, there was Save the Children. Then two weeks after that, I'm like, what campaign am I following here? Like, I'm lost. <laughs> like, we need some sort of hierarchy as to which is the most important because I don't know what yeah. to support anymore. Like, yeah. honestly. And, and I noticed people was following. One person one day would be like, oh, COVID this, COVID that. Then they'd be like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, this and that. And then they'd be save our children. I'm like, well, what am I like? What am I doing? I notice other people on social media following the trends, and I just think, well, stick to one that you feel passionately about, and and do that one. Don't just do every single one that the media says mm -hmm. because the media doesn't know. If, I'm sorry, we're talking about a media, the media, any media business you know. Look at the resources they have. Look at how many reporters they have. When do you ever hear? media come up with a solution for anything <laughs> never they never do and, and why is this this is because they make money off people trying to find a solution when a hood come on it's either the very stupid or the, or the very smart and i'm gonna go for the very smart they will not come up with a solution but they'll have lengthy talks as i said the resources They'll ask different people, they'll go to, they know everything. They know everything about any subject. They must know the answer and they do know the answer, but they don't want to tell you because while you're all hyped up, hashtag Black Lives Matter or hashtag Save the Children or hashtag COVID or 5G or whatever, like that's what they want because they need yeah. the attention. But I, I step away from all that me. I step away from all of that because they only want to know you when they can benefit you. And if you're no benefit to them, they don't want to know you. Like with my book, for example, they've not, well, I think one person, one person talked to me earlier since my book came out. It's been out two months. Previously, three or four different people talked to me about my book before it came out, but that was because somebody died by, mm. got stabbed to death. So wow. I've been in it long enough to know how the media works. I think it's amusing. But back to my point, like, I'm, I'd rather not sell as many books and not be on um, TV or in the newspapers as much because while I'm not there, that means people aren't dying. Yeah. And I'm happy with that. I mean, I'd love for all my books to go. However, <laughs> I'd love for people to be alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, I mean, I think that brings the point that the, the work that you do, I mean, you're a very involved person and the type of work you do, I feel like this is kind of putting it too mildly, but it is intense, right? So how do you practice self-care? And as a way to end this episode, do you have anything else that you would like to share with us? So how do I practice self-care? What, what is self-care? Is that like having a shower in the morning? <laughs> well, whatever makes you feel good, right? Like unwind. And Sabrina, what are you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, however you want to interpret interpret it. So, um, well, when I read the question, I was like, well, obviously I have a shower like everyone else. <laughs> but thinking about it, like, I don't know. I, I just see myself as, as, as a, I'm just a pool of energy, a pool of positive energy. And, I'm, and, I, and, I, and I restore my energy by helping other people. 
you know, mm. it took a long time to me for me to be at the stage now because I couldn't understand how people was taking the energy from me all the time and leaving me with no energy and then them just going away full of energy, you know. That made me feel a bit used, but I'm at the stage now where I can give people some energy and positivity, you know, and that pushing life, but making sure I've still got some reserve for me for when I need it because, you know, as though, you know, I'm very positive and, you know, I'm, I'm upbeat all the time. I'm always trying to always be happy, you know. It's difficult and sometimes I do start running low and I do need, you know, a, a minute or two to chill. Um, but... Yeah, that's what, that's how I do it. I just I, I just get my energy from helping other people and, you know, allowing people to look at things differently, you know, allowing people to question something, allowing people to wear something different, you know, go on holiday somewhere else, you know. It's not anything that's big or life-changing, but you've got to understand that if your brain tick, ticks, it'll keep ticking. And then from that little flick of the tick, tick 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 something big will happen and they won't even know it might have been something that i said to them that they didn't really want to do or it was out of the comfort zone but they did it because they trusted me and then it's grown into something like wild like oh and i've got this job i never would have done this before blah 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 and i just think to myself that's because you just mm -hmm. need to open your mind and you need to get your brain ticking a bit yeah wow i'm um, honestly you are such a fascinating and positive and inspirational person. And we're, we just appreciate your time so much. Um, hopefully, like after lockdown, when it's safe to do so, we can meet you in person and get you a cup. Actually, do you drink coffee? Like what gets you started in the morning? Listen, not, not coffee. It oh, is okay. tea. Strictly tea. Peaceful <laughs> tea. tea. Like, look, this is my... This is, wait, one second. This is how big I like them as well. I don't like them. No smaller than that. Oh, <laughs> healthy. Well, hopefully we can meet you in person and treat you to a healthy-sized cup of tea. And um, honestly, like... I just feel I know I'm speaking for both of us, but we just have like so many things we could have asked you and gone on for longer. So we really hope we can reconnect in the future. But yeah. thank you so much. Like this was just so fantastic. Uh, Sabrina. Yeah, um, I'm just glad that my previous meeting ended before um, it was yes. <laughs> Yeah, I can get there on time. And I'm so glad that I was here from the beginning because it's been such a great chat. And I would have been so annoyed listening to the recording back knowing I'm just at the end. So, yeah, it's been great for you to kind of like agree to this on yeah. um, a Thursday afternoon. And it's dark outside. Oh, oh God. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> I mean, we will, um, pl please let us know like how uh, we can support you more with this. Obviously, when you write your second book, we'll, we'll get it right away, read it. Um, please let us know how we can help. I mean, you really got us thinking about more on this issue and how it's all interlinked. So we'll do our best to research as much as possible and raise awareness in, in that regard too. Um, but yeah, and anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up? No, no, that's just just <laughs> yeah. buy, buy the book for uh, a relative or someone for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of uh, course. Then everyone buy the book. Yeah, sorry, Sabrina. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. I'll buy it myself, um, and I will do a review on it. I think I'll do an article on it. Yeah, um, first we'll I need to awesome. first I need to get past reading. Um, once I've started reading again, then I can tackle your book, and I'm sure I'll get through it in no time. 
it's a motivation to kind of yeah. get back into it yeah yeah definitely have a great uh, almost weekend um take care and we will hopefully see you soon bye bye bye, bye. bye. bye.